Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Matthew, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church. It is really great to see you all this morning, and wonderful to have those of you who are joining us via live stream. You know, I'm keenly aware that every single one of you, and when you look around, right, like every single one of us represents a different story, a whole different adventure and journey. And to all who are weary, who are maybe coming in here, weary and need strength, to all who mourn, maybe there's something that's had you crying this week and you long for comfort, to all who, maybe there was a moment where someone criticized you and you felt worthless and that has stuck and lingered and you wonder if God even cares about that situation that you faced this week. To all who are tired and desire strength because you just feel weak. You just feel weak this morning. This church opens wide her arms with a welcome from Jesus, the Messiah. He is the ally of his enemies. He is the defender of the guilty. He is the justifier. I keep telling you too, this is my favorite one. He is the justifier of the inexcusable because I feel like I've done so much that's just inexcusable. And he is the friend of sinners. He's our friend. That's good news. And we welcome you in his name this morning. I want to read you this morning's sermon text from Psalm 9. If you have a Bible, if you could open up your Bible this morning. Psalm 9, if you need a Bible, you didn't have one with you, there's some in the chairs uh, in front of you. You can find that on a page number that I forgot. It's like 434 or something like that. Sorry. Psalm 9, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Version of God's Word. I will thank Yahweh, excuse me, for the choir director, according to Muthlaban, Psalm of David. I will thank Yahweh with all my heart. I will declare all your wondrous works. I will rejoice and boast about you. I will sing about your name, Most High. When my enemies retreat, they stumble and they perish before you because you have upheld my just cause. You are seated on your throne as a righteous judge. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have erased their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to eternal ruin. (laughs) You have uprooted their cities and the very memory of them has perished. But Yahweh sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for judgment, and he judges the world with righteousness. He executes judgment on the nations with fairness. Yahweh is a refuge. He's a refuge for the persecuted. He is a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you because you have not abandoned those who seek you, Yahweh. So sing to Yahweh who dwells in Zion. Proclaim his deeds among the nations. For the one who seeks an accounting for bloodshed remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the oppressed. Be gracious to me, Yahweh. Consider my affliction at the hands of those who hate me. Lift me up from the gates of death so that I may declare, so that I may declare all your praises. I will rejoice in your salvation within the gates of daughter Zion in Jerusalem. The nations have fallen into the pit that they have made. (laughs) Their foot is caught in the net that they have concealed. Yahweh has made himself known. He has executed justice, snaring the wicked by the work of their own hands. The wicked will return to Sheol. All the nations that forget God. The needy will not always be forgotten. The hope of the oppressed will not perish forever. Rise up, Yahweh. Do not let mere humans prevail Let the nations be judged in your presence. Put terror in them, Yahweh. Let the nations know that they are only 
humans. This is the word of God. All right, open back up in your Bibles to Psalm 9. Psalm 9, and I hope that you received when you came in this morning a service guide. So one of these guys here. I just wanted to point out, because maybe you didn't realize on the back of it, so on the front of it you see our service order there and and kind of one of the key quotes from the sermon. And uh, I don't always have a particular concrete outline for a sermon, believe it or not, but I did today. Uh, And then on the back, I've written some questions that you can use to ponder yourself or with your family or in a community group. So uh, please take note of that, and I hope that might be helpful to you this morning and this week. Jonathan Edwards is a name and man that will be familiar to many of us in this room and on the live stream. He was born in 1703. He died at the young age of 55 from a smallpox inoculation. Uh, Died in in 1758. And despite that short time on earth, he is widely regarded among historians as one of the most influential intellectuals, philosophers, theologians, preachers, and authors that America has ever produced. In addition, Jonathan Edwards played a critical role in the First Great Awakening, He was part of and witnessed to widespread revivals among the church of his day. Not only this, his legacy is absolutely astounding. He and his wife, Sarah, had 11 children, soak that in, ladies, and 72 grandchildren. And as that family line continued, his descendants had a disproportionate effect upon American culture up to and including our present day. One of my favorite works uh, on Jonathan Edwards is by George Marsden, and he includes in that biography, the Edwards family produced scores of pastors, 13 presidents of colleges and universities, 65 professors, and many other persons of notable achievements around the globe. There are still congressmen and senators this day that are from the line of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards. His writings and beliefs continue to influence many, shaping their theology today and informing their understanding and vision of God. So how under God could one man and one woman have such a disproportionate effect on an entire nation and globe? When Edwards was just 19 years old, okay, so high school students, pay attention. He was just 19 years old. He was convicted of this fact. He wrote, I am unable to do anything without God's help. And as he considered at 19 how he wanted to expend the life that God had provided to him, he was compelled to write down a series of resolutions that would guide him for maximum joy in the glory of God. That was his aim. I am going to set down resolutions for my life. He wrote 70. He's 19. And he reviewed them once per week until the week that he died. One example, number 53. Resolved to improve every opportunity when I'm in the best and happiest frame of mind to cast and venture my soul on the master Jesus, Messiah, to trust and confide in him, to consecrate myself wholly to him, that from this, from that kind of activity, I may have assurance of my safety knowing that I confide in my Redeemer. Resolved. That's one of 70 that he read every week. The word resolve, verb, to decide firmly on a course of action. Noun, a firm determination to do something. I immediately thought of Edwards when I read Psalm 9 this week, especially verses 
1 and 2 of Psalm 9. Because when I look there, I hear resolve. I hear David deciding firmly on a course of action. I hear his firm determination to do something. And what is that something that he's resolving to do? Well, it is a five-part something, but I think it can be summarized in one word, praise. Psalm 9, verse 1. I will thank Yahweh with all my heart. I will declare all your wondrous works. I will rejoice and I will boast about you. I will sing about your name, Most High, El Elyon. Sing to Yahweh who dwells in Zion. Proclaim his deeds among the nation so that I may declare all your praises. I will rejoice in your salvation. I mean, you can't miss it, can you? I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Does that sound like resolve? It does to me. You will what, David? Thank, declare, rejoice, boast about, sing about, sing to, proclaim, declare praises, and rejoice. David is resolved. He is firmly decided and is flexing his heart and soul and mind with an unyielding determination to praise Yahweh. And his praise, okay, get this, his praise is a way to keep him thinking rightly about Yahweh because I think that David has discovered that thinking rightly and deeply and consistently and determinately and resolutely on Yahweh means that he will think rightly on his life and on his situation and his circumstances. But there's only one way this works, family. You see, the content of David's praise, this praise that he is resolved to offer, this praise that he is resolved to fill in his mind and heart and mouth, the content of this praise must be Yahweh himself. Do you see it in the text? He will thank Yahweh with all his heart. He will sing about Yahweh's name, which is to say that he will sing about the characteristics of who Yahweh is. He will rejoice and boast about Yahweh. He will, in his praise, declare the stories of Yahweh's wondrous works. You guys, this is so instructive. And I, and I think, listen, I think this is really exciting as a church family this morning. Okay, can you tell I'm excited? I'm excited. I, I love this. This is super encouraging because David is reminding us, he's reminding us of the pathway to joy and hope, peace and celebration. Who doesn't want to be on that road, right? He is stirring us up to what a very regular and natural part of our conversations and sharing with each other and storytelling with one another ought to be. Namely, we should never stop telling the stories of the wondrous works of our great God. Think about this for the moment. The reason that we must share the stories of who Yahweh is is because, because it reminds us of who Yahweh is. It reminds us of his history, his character, how he acts in relationship to his people and family, what he cares about in relationship to this world. It keeps his track record in front of our noses. So that whatever spot that we are in, good or bad, we know that Yahweh has got it covered. It keeps us trusting in the reality of God, the concreteness of God, the isness of God. Oh, you guys, <laughs> this is what we prayed for you as a worship team this morning. We sat or we stood in a circle with our arms around each other right here this morning, and we prayed that God would lift the veil from all of our eyes. We prayed that walls that might be built up over the course of this week would be torn down this morning so that you could see that God is, I so badly long for, in my heart for you to come into contact with the living God this morning. That's what I want for you. It should be why you're here. That he's there. 
He's really there. He's really here. He's really everywhere. Some of you may know that football season is upon us again. Some of you may be grieving this. It makes me think of how what I'm describing, of how we do that with players and coaches, right? Like, we know their stats. We know the stories of their exploits, that, that amazing catch that they made, that pass that they threw, the tackle that they executed perfectly, the call that they were willing to make, and that key moment in the game, right? It led to some remarkable result. We know the deeds that they have performed, all of their praiseworthy acts. And, and then like when that free agent like gets on our team, then we like start boasting about like, hey, look who we got this year, right? Why? Because it builds confidence that somehow, some way, in the majesty and miracle of God, the players and coaches of the Bronco team that was so incredibly disappointing and horrible last year will somehow be better this year. And so with God. See, here's the deal, family. And, and this isn't, okay, I'm going to do something right now and I, I want you to understand this isn't about guilting you or shaming you or making you feel bad, but I need to ask you some questions. Questions that I think are really important for our joy and our resiliency because I don't think that making it in this life, in the good and bad of our life, happens accidentally. We have to resolve things. Okay? The way that David is resolving things. We need to be resolved to thank and declare and rejoice and boast about and sing about and sing to and proclaim and declare the praises of and rejoice in God. Which means we need to know what? God. So, here's my questions. How well do you know the stories? How well do you know the stories of God and all of his wondrous works that David just said in the beginning of this psalm? How often do you find yourself telling these stories to yourself and to others, sharing about who he is and that he is? That, that you're telling the story in a way that's bringing the concreteness and the reality and the isness of God into the moment. How well do our kids and our grandkids know the stories? How well do our friends and our neighbors know the stories because of your storytelling? Family, there is so much power in telling stories. We know this, right? There's so much power in singing the wondrous works of Yahweh. It gets us jazzed up about him all over again. It builds confidence in us, in him all over again. It helps us to remember, oh wait, wait, what was I thinking just there? He's done this before. Why was I doubting him? He'll do it again. We sing a song with those words. So that you can be confident that he's got us. That he's got you. That you can say, he's got me. I, I know he's got me. Is he telling our favorite stories of him? Our favorite? Do you have favorite stories of God? That you find yourself, like you tell over and over again? Singing our favorite songs about him, it reminds us that he is, that he exists, that he is seated on his throne, chapter 9, verse 4, that he sits enthroned forever and has established his throne, chapter 9, verse 7. And so we declare the wondrous works in the stories and in the songs. That's what we do. That's what the people of God do. It's what we should do. You know, the story of how he created the heavens and the earth? <laughs> he just spoke and it was. He just said, let there be, let there be, let there be. 
And there was light and darkness, night and day, evening and morning. There was sun and moon and stars. There was water and sky, dry land and seas. There were living creatures swarming in the oceans, birds flying across the spans of the skies. There were sea creatures and feathered flyers. There were trees and flowers and strawberries and monkeys and bees and raspberries. There were creepy crawlies and black speckled mollies. There was man and there was woman and it was good. Very good. And it was all I stood at 14,003 feet yesterday with Aaron Dobson. And you know one of the things he said when we were headed up to that peak? How can people look and not think there's not a God? And then there was that time, you know, do you remember in the story? There's that time that he talked to that guy named Abram. And he said, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky and like the sand on the seashore. And do you remember? Do you remember when he did that? <laughs> that he kept his promise and Israel was born? That it came true? That it wondrously happened? And there was that time in the life of his people when, when because of the wickedness and the wicked one in this world who pulled the strings of the Pharaoh like a puppeteer controlling a puppet, that God's people became enslaved. And so God wondrously, do you remember that time when he appeared in a bush in a flame and it wasn't consumed? <laughs> and, and he said to Moses, take off your sandals because the place that you are standing is holy ground. And you remember when he said to Moses that he, that he promised to free his people because he had heard the cries of their suffering and affliction. And then, hey, do you remember what happened next? Do you remember what he wondrously did? What did he do? Do you remember how he sent plagues, 10 of them? Do you know the plagues? Do you know the story? Could you tell it to someone right now? How he turned water to blood. Frogs were everywhere. Gnats were everywhere. Swarms of flies were everywhere. The death of livestock was everywhere. Boils were everywhere. Hail was on everything. Locusts, was, locusts were everywhere, except where? <laughs> on God's children. And then there was darkness. Do you remember the story? There was darkness that it was so dark you could feel it. And finally, there was the death of the firstborn in, in every household, and there was no blood where there was no blood on the, on the doorposts. God's wondrous acts. And then do you remember the story? You remember the story? The, the pillar of fire by night and the, the, the pillar of the cloud by day leading God's people. And, and, and then do you remember the entrapment of his children on the edge of the Red Sea and his declaration, declarations through Moses? Listen, you guys, you don't need to do anything. All you gotta do is, is just stop and be still and be quiet because Yahweh is gonna fight for you. And do you remember what happened? Do you remember how he split the sea and they crossed through on dry land? And, and, then, the, and, then, and then all of, of Pharaoh's forces went in there and, and then he shut the waters on them and they all were destroyed. Like, and he wondrously did what? He set his people free when he promised to do just that. Do you remember that? And then do you remember the wondrous provision in the, in the wilderness with these cranky old grumbly people who like started crying about, oh, do you remember the leaks in Egypt? Why are we out here in this like horrible place? And, and he went ahead and just gave manna anyway. And quail. You remember they were there for 40 years and their shoes didn't wear out and their clothes didn't wear out? I mean, do you remember of his, the, the, the wondrous work of his people walking around the walls of a mighty city one time per day for six days and seven times on the seventh day in quiet, not shouting, not even letting their voices be heard? And then after the seventh circle on the seventh day, what did they do? They shouted. And what happened? The walls came down and Jericho was, what, what was it that, that David said that? He rebuked the nations and he brought his enemies to ruin and he uprooted cities. Do you remember the stories? All so that his people could enter the promised land. Think of all the stories. Stories of angels killing an army of 185,000, of pots of oil that never ran out, of jars of flour that were always full, of axes that float and rivers that were stopped, of kings covered with leprosy being cleansed in a dirty river, stories of great prophets doing battle with priests of false gods, making fun of who they worshipped. Hey, is he out having a potty break? Is that why he's not casting fire down? Ha, 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 ha. And then he calls fire down on this soaking wet altar and it's just consumed in a moment. Just because Elijah asked for it, 
Remember stories of men taken up into the heavens before they die, stories of mountaintops covered in smoke, lightning and thunder, of temples filled with the smoke of God's presence, of fleeces that are wet and then they are dry, of men who can survive fiery furnaces, of dens of hungry lions whose mouth gets shut by angels, story after story after story of the wondrous works of our God. And I wonder if you were asked if children were gathered around you in a circle and you didn't have this immediately at hand, and there was no cell coverage. Because let's not depend. You know, someday you might not have this immediately at hand. Do you know the stories? How many stories could you tell? How long could you keep them enraptured? I know it's hard. I don't like teaching kids either. (laughs) But how many stories could you tell? You see, family, here's the thing. If we only have a few stories, how well do we really know our God? And if we don't really know Him, then how are you going to be able to thank Him and declare Him and rejoice and boast about Him and sing praises to His wondrous name? But if you know the stories, here's what I think will happen. If your heart is full with the stories of the wondrous acts of God, you won't be able to be stopped from singing. Because that's what humans have done since time immemorial, is sing about the things and the people they love. If they didn't, we wouldn't have country music. (laughs) So let's be resolved. Let's tell the stories. Let's be resolved to tell the stories and share them with each other. Let's fill our mouths and and then our conversations with them so that they permeate our hearts and our minds so that that we will declare all of his praises and rejoice in his salvation, chapter 9, verse 14. And there is a reason that this is so important, family. And David knows it. There's a reason all of that that we just worked through is so important. And it's because there's a problem in this world. There's a problem that will slam into our joyful praise and our increasing belief in the reality of a God enthroned in heaven. There is a problem that will at times cause us to doubt that God is in fact enthroned in our lives. You know, when I was trying to visualize the flow of this psalm, I'm a very visual person, and so I I usually write in my notebook. I try and, like, draw a little picture. You've seen some of my quite excellent artwork and and towards preaching it. And so I I drew this picture trying to get in my head, like, what is, this is what sermon prep looks like. And, and, and so I, I drew, I, I, okay, resolved. I think David is resolved. And then, and then I saw there's this problem and, and it works towards a reality and a response. And I, and I looked at that and all of a sudden it hit me. Oh my gosh, I almost pulled like the Baptist like championship with four words that started with R. I was just one short. <laughs> Whenever my adorable wife gets confronted with a story that's about to take a turn for the worse, you know, like whether maybe we're, like watching a movie or, or someone is telling a story and you know, like the story's kind of moving along and, or we're reading a story and, and everything's going good. And, then, and you know how in a story, like there'll be that turn where it goes kind of bad? My wife, and it, it almost escapes from her mouth without her even knowing it and realizing it. She'll just, someone will be telling the story and then they're like, like it takes that turn and she'll be like, rut row. Everybody in the room knows the Jetsons dog. (laughs) And I was like, four R's. Yes. Resolved. Rut row. (laughs) You see, that's the turn in the psalm with David. I am resolved to praise you because you are enthroned, O Yahweh. You, you are king. I will remind myself of your wondrous works, your mighty acts. El El Yon, most high. Rut row. My enemies, the wicked, times of trouble, those who engage in bloodshed, those who hate me, the gates of death, oppression, pits of despair and danger, nets concealed, the needy, grief, pain, persecution. Verse 9. You see it there? Persecution. 
Any of you ever used one of these? Maybe, maybe ladies more than the guys because they seem to cook usually more than us. And it's a mortar and a pestle, right? You, you put things in it that you want to you, you grind up, right? You just grind and you grind and you grind and you grind because you want to you get them into like, what, what do you want to get them into? A fine powder. See, that's what this word means. This word, persecution, means to be ground into a fine powder. Can you imagine being crushed like that? Maybe you don't have to imagine it because it's happened to you. Rut row. Listen, family, I, I think it's likely that David is speaking of a specific situation and a specific enemy, and a wicked person in his own life. And, it, and I appreciate how he also doesn't just think about himself in this psalm like he does so often for us. He, he actually thinks about his people as king. He, he thinks about other nations coming against his beloved kindred, the nation of Israel, that are trying, these other nations that are, are trying to destroy him and to destroy his nation. But I don't think that we have to limit the application of what this teaches us because what we see here and know from the testimony and the larger story is that there is a far bigger problem. You see, it's that the wicked are a manifestation of wickedness. Sinners are a consequence of sin. Evil deeds are born out of evil. And none of that is disconnected from an evil force and an evil one, the ruler of this world, the principality of the power of the air who is orchestrating and is behind all of the wickedness and evil and enemies and crushing and oppression and grief and pain. I am so blessed to have a biblical counselor in my life. His name is Mick. I've been with him for over three years. And he speaks into the deepest parts of who I am and into my struggles and the places where I need healing and restoration. And I was talking to him on a Zoom call a few weeks ago and, and I made the comment to Mick that, that I knew that I still had healing to go, like in my own life, my soul, my mind, my heart, the way I think. And he paused and he, he got this look on his face. It's a look that I'm familiar with in Mick. It's kind of this look of imminent discovery, like something is about to happen. I, and, I, and I know because I know Mick, I know the Spirit is about to share something with Mick for me. And Mick said something along the lines of this. I, I tried to remember it the best that I could. I wrote it down a little bit later. He said, you know, Matthew, it's, it's interesting that you said it that way that you know that there's still healing from the pain and the grief of your past and, and how deeply you were hurt by others. He said, have you, have you noticed in the stories of Jesus how, like when you read the biography, like stories, right? Isn't this wondrous works? Have you noticed in the stories of Jesus, Matthew, that, that healing is never far from the casting out of demons? Like whenever you see that, they're together, and he, and he said, so I, I want you to understand that, right, I, I, I'm a counselor, I'm, I'm a clinician, and I, I believe there's things that we need to do and there's behaviors that we need to work through, and, but it's never disconnected from a spiritual struggle. So whatever oppression or affliction or difficulty, whether that's disease or depression or persecution is happening, always behind it is an evil force that is orchestrating those events to bring about the pain and the hurt in your life. There is unevil. There is unevil one. And he said we have to recognize that and remember that and know that whatever the healing needs to be, whether that's a physical healing or it's a human-on-human kind of healing, it's a spiritual battle. And you know, family, I think that is incredibly helpful. I've been pondering that ever since he said that a few weeks ago. Because I think Mick is really onto something. I think that when we are faced with the uh, rut rows of life, in order to rightly address them, 
Family, we have to address them spiritually. Which means, which means, now see the connection here for David, which means we must address them in light of who Yahweh is and all of his wondrous acts. Because, see, what I think that we can be tempted to do, rather than focus on Yahweh enthroned and reigning and all the stories of his wondrous acts, we can be tempted to think over much on the rut rows. We spend all of our time pondering and meditating on them and their power and how bad it is and how bad it's going to be and how we're never going to get better and it's never going to get better and the rut rows get bigger and bigger and bigger and God gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And that gets it the wrong, wrong way around. You see, this is why we must be resolved so that we're clear on the reality. You see, because David was resolved, David knows reality. The enemies, the wicked, the oppressors, the sickness, the rut row is small in light of the reality of our refuge, verse 9, our rememberer, verse 12, and our riser, verse 19. Verse 9, Yahweh is a refuge for those crushed into fine powder, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you because you have not abandoned those who seek you, Yahweh. Sing to Yahweh who dwells in Zion. Proclaim his deeds among the nations. For the one who seeks an accounting for bloodshed remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the oppressed. Or how about the message? I love the message of this. This is so good. God is a safe house for the battered. Someone probably needed to hear that today. He is a sanctuary during bad times. The moment that you arrive at the safe house, <laughs> you relax and you're never sorry that you knocked on the door. Sing your songs to Zion dwelling God. Tell his stories to everyone you meet. How do you know someone didn't need to hear that story from your mouth of him today? Tell how he tracks down killers and yet keeps his eye on us, that he registers every whimper and moan. Do you see? That's the reality. God is bigger. Listen, God is bigger than all wickedness, evil, and crushing. He's bigger, y'all. He dwarfs every oppression, grief, and pain. The faithful God is on our side, and he has always been for his people. He has always been for his people. From the very beginning, Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong, take courage, don't be intimidated, don't give them a second thought because God, your God, is striding ahead of you, and he is right there with you. He will not let you down, and he will not leave you. Joshua 1.5, all your life, no one will be able to hold out against you in the same way that I was with Moses. And that's not just for Joshua. That's for you. The same way that I was with Moses. I will be with you. I won't give up on you. <laughs> Isn't it great to hear when someone says, I ain't giving up on you. How much better when God says that. I won't leave you. Strength. Courage. Or Psalm 9 and 12. 9, 10 and 12. You have not abandoned those who seek you, Yahweh. Yahweh remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the oppressed. This is my story. This is my song. Praising Yahweh all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Look at those screens. Don't look at me. Look at the screens. That's true. That's who he is. It's why David writes Higeon in verse 16, I believe. 
Most of us think that means meditation. And say, it's followed by selah, which means pause, which means, put, put that back up there, would you, Terry? Which means take a moment and take a breath and think about it. Man, sometimes we run through our Bibles. That's why and David knows that. He's like, I got to say, time out. Time out. Stop. Okay. Did you just read what I just said? Could you just please think about that for a minute again? Because you're acting like you don't know what I just wrote you. You see, for many people that are here on the live stream this morning, these may be the very assurances that some of you need rubbed into your pain like a balm at this very moment. And y'all, if we don't know these stories, for the person who's struggling and, and they just, they feel like, I can't even read these words right now. I'm not joyful enough. I can't even think. I'm so distracted and confused. What if you could sit across from them over a cup of tea and remember Psalm 9 and tell them this is true for you? You tell the story. So to be real, that God has not and never will abandon you, that he remembers you, that he does not forget your cries, that he will rise up on your behalf, that this is your reality, friend, that he is your reality. Resolved, rut row, reality, and all that's left is how you will respond this morning. Okay, so how are you gonna respond? If we follow, follow David's, lead, I think there's two responses that we could have. First, talk to God. Talk to God. Well, isn't that revolutionary? You thought, what clever, you know, silver bullet you're going to give me today, pastor? Prayer. Heard of it? And note something here, and this is so good. This is so good because I tend, listen, here's who I, you may not know this about me because you just kind of see me up here like, blah. I am a pretty melancholy person. I'm generally, I know it's hard to believe. You know, I'm a fake it till you make it kind of guy. Inside, I can be kind of a wet blanket sometimes, a glass half full, no, half empty kind of guy. But I don't think that's what we hear in David's prayer. Like you, you read this and you could think, this sounds desperate. I don't think it is. I think David's confident in Psalm 9 because he knows who he's talking to. Be kind to me, God, verse 13. I've been kicked around long enough. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? Once you have pulled me back from the gates of death. Okay, let's pause there for a second and see it has gotten that bad. He feels like he's at the gates of death. But David knows the wondrous acts of God, verse two, displayed in the stories of the past. Shoot, he knows the wondrous acts of God in his own past. Just like we see in our own stories. Yes? And so his hope arises not just because of his experience, but because he's aware of God's faithful feats and consistent character. And because of that, David prays in confidence. He knows, man, this is so good. This is Dale Ralph Davis again. He knows that, quote, wondrous deliverances can be followed by fresh needs. <laughs> Isn't this true? You ever had just like something like so great happen in your life on Monday and then on Tuesday, it just craters. And you're like, what? Like everything was going so well. I, I thought like new heavens and new earth had actually occurred. And then it just craters. It's, and Dale Raff Davis goes on to say, it, Deliverances can be followed by fresh needs for a believer's life does not consist of a jam or two, but normally of troubles all along the way. Can I get an amen? We should never be surprised that after a marvelous deliverance, we are somehow in the middle of more slop. <laughs> you see, David is aware of 
the timeline. He knows where his life is on that timeline, and he knows the graph will have lots of ups and downs. But he also knows this, verse 19, the needy will not always be forgotten, and the hope of the oppressed will not perish forever. David was in a history with his God who had delivered him in a slice of experience and far more that that deliverance was typical of what God would do and will do at the last day of judgment, verses 7 and 8. He also displays his character that is the way he acts towards his afflicted ones. And are we not also in a history with our God, right? We're in a history. We're in a story. Do you not also have the same kind of context like David had when you pray? that you're operating out of, a story that you're operating out of. Which is why, you guys, this is why we need to keep telling each other our stories. This is what they did in the Old Testament, right? They, they took like stones, like this isn't a stone, but they took stones and they laid down a stone and they were like, this is what God did here. They gathered everybody around like, okay, everybody remembered that? Maybe they put some marking on it. And every time they came across that stone, what happened? They remembered it. What do we do? We take pictures. Or we grab, I have little rocks on my desk of places that I've been. And when I hold onto that rock, like, like a stone, I remember that little vacation in that special moment. And that's what we have to do with each other because our lives are accumulations of the story of God's wondrous acts in our experiences. And we need to share those experiences with other people and then they share theirs with us. And then we're like, what? We start singing. That's what David says. You see, <laughs> Do you write down family stories of God's works in your family? I got to get better at this. We got to start writing down our stories. Have you ever been around like a family gathering Thanksgiving? Hey, y'all, you remember that time when? You remember that time when? Like, and you, and you tell the story of God? <laughs> That's what, and, and doing that will lead to the second response that David shows us. Verse 14, I will write a book on hallelujahs, Right? Hallelujah, praise Yahweh. On the corner of Main and First, I'll hold a street meeting. I'll be the song leader. We'll fill the air with salvation songs. <laughs> with each breath he's given, praise the Lord. In these times we live in, we will praise the Lord throughout ev. Re-season, I am sure we have every reason to praise the Lord. Oh, oh, oh. right? <laughs> Do you see? Do you see what is going on in Psalm 9? Praise for David leads to a resolve about who God is despite the rut rows of life so that we're reminded of his reality, so that we can thus respond with prayer and then more praise. <laughs> and it's just this cycle that just goes, boop, 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 until we just like spontaneously combust. Right? And family, it's why we sing on Sundays. Worship team, get on up here. We need your help. Why? Why do we sing on Sundays? Because our God is praiseworthy. And our praise will change us. It will. And, listen y'all, our praise will change others. Our praise, look at me. Don't look at them getting ready. Look at me. Our praise will change others. Have you ever experienced that on a Sunday? <laughs> have you ever come in here and you are unable to sing or maybe you're doing nothing more than mumbling your way through the words? But it's because you're weighed down with cares. And the last thing you can possibly think to do is how can I sing today? And then you, and then you look around and, and you see the attitude of people around you and what they're doing, and your attitude starts to change. I was sitting in the, in the last row. I got to be a back pew Baptist last Sunday. It was awesome. Because I never get to watch you guys worship. And I was sitting back there, and there was one of our most silver-haired members. And she, you know what she was doing? She was like... <laughs> oh, yeah! And I was like... 
At first, I was like, that's kind of weird. And then I'm just, I'm just going to shoot straight. I'm being honest with you. And then I'm watching her. And I, like, I just got this smile on my face, right? Because, like, her being happy made me happy. Or maybe, maybe you've come grumpy to the service today. You don't have any cares. You're just grumpy. The week hasn't gone well. You've spent more time complaining about God, how God has been treating you, carrying on excessively about your personal needs and desires, maybe gossiping or grousing about some person or other. And do you know what you need, Mr. Grumpy Pants? You need to be confronted with the goodness of God, to be led by a, by a worship leader in songs that put words of thanksgiving and declaration and rejoicing and boasting about and singing about and proclaiming and praising and rejoicing over God. This is why we sing on Sunday mornings. Because once we do this actively, okay, and listen to me now, listen. <laughs> actively. Right? I don't care if you can carry a tune or not. Get on in there and just belt it out. We don't care. This is family. We have to be engaged because, listen, here's why this is so important. Have you noticed how doing something physically can cause your mind and your heart to follow? Right, like if, if, I, if I'm just praying, but then I do what? What if I do this and I start praying? It, it just changes, doesn't it? It really changes it. What if I get my face down on the ground? It changes it. And so if you actually say the words and actively engage and, you know, do something that you don't normally do in worship, like maybe raise your hand or maybe clap or, or do something. Listen, y'all, I trust that your heart and your mind and your soul will start to follow by the grace of God and the power of His Holy Spirit. Once we acknowledge the reality of God, once we declare and thank Him for His goodness, we will develop a more positive spirit and frame of mind. It will change us. I'm, I'm telling you, it's true. It's real. That's why He says, be gracious to me, O God. And God answers it's why we sing. It's why we sing in here on a Sunday morning. And it's why we praise his name among the nations. Okay, so this is, okay, so praise God because he deserves it. Praise God because you need it. And praise God as a rehearsal. Okay, so this is rehearsal. Here's rehearsal for next Sunday because you know where we're all going to be next Sunday? We're going to be down in a park. And what did David just say? Proclaim his name among the peoples. Among the peoples. Where are we going to be next week? Oh, you guys are sharp. <laughs> you guys are tracking. I love it. Right? So do you know what we need to do? What we need to be? Like, I don't want us to make stuff up. I want it to be genuine. But if we do this, it'll be genuine. We need to be the most hand-clapping, hand raising, joy-filled, shouting praises people that Salida has ever seen. Because if we're just like, with this breath you given, praise the Lord. They'll be like, ain't serving that God. I don't know who they're like. Why in the world? With each breath he's given, praise the Lord. There'd be people who'd be looking like, what do they have? I want what they have. I want that. So we're going to do that. We need to sing like that next week. And now, and now, stand. And now to our God.